As we look at scripture, we see a lot in scripture that, that tells us what it means to be saved. I'm going to run through a few scriptures here for us this morning that, that we can see a common theme. The first one is Isaiah 43, 14. It says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, as the child." the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. Hosea 1.7 says, But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them from the Lord, by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Psalm 68.19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. And finally, Romans 1, 16-17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to anyone, or everyone, who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What do those passages have in common? The Lord saves. God is our source of salvation. Not each other. Not our heart, not our good works. But God is our source of salvation. Y'all, this is going to be really hard for me because I want to walk around right now. In fact, I was planning on preaching from the front this morning. But because no mic, here we go. So... If I start moving around and you can't hear me, sorry. God and God alone is our Savior. But yet we live as if we can save ourselves. We live as if this world is meant for us and we're just supposed to take it and just do what we want with it. We live as if God will just give us whatever our heart's desire is. Throughout the Old and the New Testaments, we find that God, and only God, brings salvation. You have nothing to do with it. I love what Charles Spurgeon once said. He said, in the morning when the ark door was opened, an observer might see a pair of golden eagles in the sky. But glancing downward, one might see creeping along a pair of snails, a pair of snakes, a pair of worms. There were pairs of creeping creatures as well as pairs of flying creatures, but there was only one entrance for them all. The eagle must come down to enter it, and the worm must crawl up to it. There is one way, one salvation, and his name is Jesus. One way. Today in our What We Believe series, we're discussing salvation, if you haven't caught on to that. The thing about salvation in the church is we think we're all saved. But you'd be surprised on how many people grace a pew or a chair in the church every Sunday that remains there with no salvation. I've said it before. I'll say it again. 
Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a car makes you a garage. Or, sorry, standing in a garage makes you a car. Wow. You know what I'm saying. Just because you're here this morning does not mean you have saving grace. So my prayer today is that you, if you are here this morning and you are saved, that you will be encouraged in your salvation this morning. But if you are here, maybe falsely ever thinking that you've given your life to Jesus, maybe for you, some of you never have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray today that today you would become a believer in him. That you would understand what it means to submit to the authority and the master Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for giving us the opportunity to be saved. Lord, your word says very clearly, that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But Father, your word also says that our salvation will be seen. It will be worked out. Lord, that people will know that we are Christians by our love and our service of them. So God, help us to be those people. I pray that the saved in the church this morning will rejoice will be glad in the salvation that they enjoy in you. But also that they would be stirred and convicted enough to continue to live out every breath for you, Jesus. And I pray for those who may not be saved in this room this morning, who are listening on the phone call, who are watching on Facebook, that today would be the day of their salvation in you, Jesus. Grab their hearts. I pray your Holy Spirit will convict. Teach us to be obedient to your word. We love you and we thank you. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. I want to read that again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And verse 9 says, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a very broad topic, if you think about it. We could cover a lot of aspects of salvation. and this We can answer questions, can I lose my salvation? Is the sinner's prayer necessary for salvation? Do I have to be baptized to be saved? We could ask all those questions. But before we ask those questions, I think it's important that we look somewhere else, and that is, what is salvation, and how and who saves? Because before we can answer those questions, we need to understand if we're saved or not. 
Like I said, many people come to churches and they think, well, I'm at church, I'm an American, I'm a Christian. That's not how this works. I want to simply look at what salvation is and who and what brings it. The truth of the matter is that salvation should be evident in your life. The fruit that you produce should be evidence of the saving grace within you. There should be no question as to whether or not you have Jesus if you claim to be a Christian. But you would be surprised at how many people I meet who have claimed to be Christians their whole lives, but their lives look far from Jesus. The way they treat people, the way they speak to people, their arrogance, their whatever you name, speaks differently than Jesus. John 3, 20 through 21 says this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. If you have the light of Jesus Christ in your life, you will live in that light. You will do the things that you do in that light so people can see that God is good. In Matthew chapter 5, we have the, the, the famous, let your light shine before all men, that they may see your good deeds, and then praise who? Your Father who is in heaven. So it's not about you. It's not about what people see you doing. It's about them seeing Jesus. It's about the, the, the blood of Jesus being available to everyone through the light of Jesus. Your life should display the grace of God. Doing his will will always display that salvation. Even in your darkest times, you can still display salvation. Through your brokenness, people can see the grace and love of Jesus. Through your brokenness, they can see a mere human struggling to live in this life only by the grace of God. So as we look at salvation today, I want to break down two basic truths about salvation. I'm not going to answer those questions. Again, we need to know the basic truths of salvation. And the first one is that we are saved because of Jesus. We are saved because of Jesus. As I said earlier, God is the only source of salvation. You can't get to heaven through Joseph Smith. You can't get to heaven through uh, Buddha or through Confucius. You can't get to heaven through anyone but Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But you can't get to heaven through your giving either. 
You can't get to heaven through self-righteous attitudes. You can't get to heaven thinking, I'm just a good person. I'll be okay. We have this idea sometimes that we are in control of our lives. <laughs> really? We're not. We also say things like, I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven. In fact, when we were doing our uh, um, fall fest down in, in downtown uh, Walnut Cove, uh, I heard one of our guys talking to another guy, and that he said, yeah, I've been to church in 30 years, but I'm still a good person, I'll, I'll be okay. It's not what the Bible says. I don't care how good you are, how good you think you are. The reality is, there is not one ounce of truth in that statement. Not one. I don't care how many awards you've won, how many accolades you've been given because of your service, how long you've been at this church or how long you've been a Christian, I don't care. That's not salvation. Salvation seeps through the way you speak, the way you love, the way you serve. That's evidence of salvation. The Bible makes things very clear that forgiven people go to heaven. Forgiven people. Not good people. Forgiven people. Those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have repented of their sins, those who have confessed his name, those who have been obedient to God in his word, those people, the forgiven. So it doesn't matter what you do. It matters whose you are. We are saved because and only because of Jesus. Salvation is found in Jesus. In fact, Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. I want you to pay attention to that. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. So that means it's not in the name of Benjamin Franklin that we're going to be saved. It's not in any other name but the name of Jesus Christ that we will enter into salvation because he and only he can save. This is important to understand as we deal with the doctrine of salvation because our lives often look different than that. The things we say to people, the things we do are not things oftentimes that glorify God. Those are not evidence of salvation. If we were to connect ourselves to any part of salvation, it would only be this, Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If any connection, it's only our surrender. That's it. If we take any credit at all, which is really not credit at all, it's just our surrender. 
believing in the name of the Lord Jesus. We must surrender our lives to him. But I have a feeling churches are full this morning across the nation, across the world of people who are here because this is where grandpappy came. Or people are here because they got married here, or they got baptized here, or they, whatever. There's no better place to be on a Sunday morning, in my opinion, than in the house of the Lord. There's no better place to be. To come and sit among fellow sinners. To worship a beautiful and perfect God. To give of ourselves. To lay aside anything that we may have in our hearts and our minds to give it to Jesus. How dare we enter God's house for any other reason? So let's abandon the false doctrine of self-saving goodness and embrace that only in Jesus and only through Jesus can we be saved. Amen? I hope you believe that. Finally, Jesus is the only one that can save us. But we are saved by grace and only grace. We're saved by grace. As our passage states, it is by grace that we are saved. So what exactly is grace? To put it simply, it's God's unmerited favor and forgiveness given to you freely. It's giving, been given something that you don't deserve. We deserve death. We deserve misery. We deserve those things, but yet Jesus, when we call upon his name, gives us grace, an unmerited favor of forgiveness. And there's nothing you can do to earn grace. Your attendance doesn't matter. I always thought it was funny that we keep attendance and everything. As if it's like, oh, those people haven't been there for a while. I wonder if they're falling out of grace. I've heard people say this. They've, they've probably fallen out of grace. It's not how that works, church. Grace is given as an unmerited favor. Nothing you can do can earn extra grace. There's no storage unit of grace for you in heaven. So why do we live our lives as if we're trying to earn more? Because we do this. Sometimes in the back of our minds as we're helping somebody, we're thinking, I wonder who sees this. Sometimes by the way we speak, we, we speak fancy words. Uh, I knew a guy who would pray in King James, but he never spoke in King James any other time. As if special words of these and thousand dits were going to get him into the presence of God. Things that we place our hope and faith in speak volumes of where our faith is. 
grace gives to us. Life. And God gives that grace to us as he does, not as we want, not as we work for. It is his grace that saves so that we understand that we cannot boast in ourselves. It's, you know, we, we have this culture of, of look what I did. Look what I accomplished. People have used mission trips as ways to expose the, the good things that they've done. We think, say things like, well, that's the best thing I've ever done. I think sometimes we say those things and just passing, not really thinking about the implications of our words. But when I hear those things, I think of anything but humility. You see, grace is about humility. Understanding what God has given us, we have not earned, nor do we deserve. One of my favorite things is listening to Dave Ramsey on the radio. And when somebody says, how are you, Dave? He always says, better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Because it is in his grace that we understand that we cannot boast of ourselves. It's clear in Romans 6.23, you all know this passage, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the, the gift, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This free gift is one that is not just to be taken. Yes, God gives us grace, so it's not just to be taken and just kept to ourselves. This is a free gift that must be released to others as well. Did you know there's a different aspect of grace than just the salvation that comes? Part of living your salvation is extending the grace of God to others. Caring enough about other people to share with them what God can do in their lives. Caring enough about others to say, you know what, I'm going to love you even though we may disagree. That's grace. Not just to be taken and hoarded, but to be lived out. Romans 1.5 says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. We take this grace and we live it out amongst all the nations. Living out the salvation God has given us so that the nations can see that God is good. I love what John Piper comments about this verse. He says, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. I take this to mean that his calling as an apostle was a gift of grace and that he fulfills that ministry by the power of this grace so that grace is not just God's clemency towards Paul, toward Paul's sin, but it is also a power to enable Paul to do his calling as an apostle. Grace received and grace lived. You receive God's grace to live God's grace in all things. As we deal with fellow Christians, as we deal with non-Christians, as we deal with our enemies, it's through grace. 
They're not just to keep it to ourselves. At this church, it should be believed that salvation is to be lived out every day. This church should believe that because we're a church of Jesus Christ. As a New Testament church, this should be what we do. Is salvation lived out every day. Exposing the darkness around us. Binding wounds. Building each other up. Not tearing one another down. This grace that you have been extended by God should show mightily through your life. Not just a little bit, but mightily. When we keep it to ourselves or if we live life as if God will just store grace up for us, we cheapen grace. And there's nothing worse, in my opinion, in Christianity than cheap grace. Grace that's been abused. Grace that's been, been taken to be totally opposite of what God intended to be. We make it almost meaningless. And one of those ways is by the way we conduct ourselves towards even our fellow brothers and sisters. We cheapen grace. We make it meaningless. So the question I have for you is, do you live through the grace of Jesus Christ in your daily life? Is it evident that Christ has saved you? I love what C.S. Lewis said. If you want to go straight to my heart, you give me Charles Spurgeon and C.S. Lewis. Those are my guys. He said, a world of nice people, content in their ni own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might, even, might be even more difficult to save. If you don't understand what he's saying there, he's saying it's not enough to be a nice person. You can be the nicest person in the world, the most giving person in the world, but without the grace of Jesus Christ, you have nothing. Without that grace lived out, it's been cheapened. So don't cheapen the grace of God. We cannot save ourselves. The doctrine of salvation must be understood properly in order for those other questions to be answered. Salvation is through God incarnate. The Bible calls this Jesus, the Messiah. As we enter into the Christmas season, which I'm stoked about because I love Christmas, he is called Emmanuel, God with us. There's a reason for that, because Jesus was God in flesh. And it is by his grace, and only by his grace, that we are saved. His grace was given to all who would believe. To all who would believe. Those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Why? Because there is no name given in heaven or under heaven by which we must be saved. His name is Jesus. 
It's belief in Jesus who took all of our sin and our shame to the cross. And it didn't stop there because he resurrected from the grave on the third day. That is why we can be saved. Because he is alive. It wasn't a spiritual resurrection. He still is not in the grave. He is alive today. And he walks among us. Grace was given that we would believe who he is and live this belief. It's truly beautiful, isn't it? This salvation. And it's so simple. Surrender to Jesus. You don't have to stop cussing or smoking or spitting or whatever you do before you come to Jesus. And that's amazing. You don't have to have your life figured out, your direction. You come to Jesus and call on his name and he will save you. It's so simple. Why do we complicate it? Give your life to Jesus. In Christ, we can experience freedom like no other. Do you know this freedom? Truly, really answers that question to yourself. Have you just been going through the motions your entire life? Do you need to have repentance in your life right now for the way that you've been living because it hasn't been according to God's grace? Do you even know Jesus at all? If not, I invite you today to experience salvation in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your amazing grace. God, I ask that you be with us as we come to our time of decision, Lord, that for some, it may be a time of confusion. For some, it may be calling on your name for the very first time. And for others, it may be just being glad sincere hearts, Lord, that you have saved us by your grace. Whatever the need